Welcome to the Garage Cast, a weekly podcast focused on innovation, education, and strategy. Hosted by Michael Iani Polarchio. Hi there, everybody. Welcome. It is May the 12th, Friday. I am Michael Iani Polarchio, your host here on the Garage Cast. For those of you who don't know me, maybe you're just tuning in for the first time here on episode 28. I am a longtime strategist and futurist. I've had a career in consulting. My background is in technology. And in the last number of years, I've moved into education. And so the Garage Cast focuses on all of these things and especially around innovation. And that's what today's show will focus on. We're going to have a little exploration on culture and how important that is to support strategy in the drive for innovation. As well, we're going to talk a little bit about an online debate platform that we've talked about before and where that has landed, how that's evolved and where we find ourselves And lastly, we'll pick one tool tip to explore together. So buckle up, everybody. It's going to be one great show. Well, you know, sometimes you just have one of those weeks where you're highly reflective. Lots of things going on, lots of things percolating inside your head. And then you stop and you just take some time to reflect. And that's been that kind of week for me. And I thought I would talk a little bit around, you know, we've been talking a lot about innovation. We've talked a lot about leadership. We've talked about strategy. We've talked about emergent technologies. And today I want to talk about a really important element that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about. But it feels appropriate this week. And that's the crucial role of organizational culture and how it supports strategic planning. You may have heard this quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I've used that here occasionally in some workshops, and it truly couldn't be any more accurate. Neglecting organizational culture can cause strategic goals to falter and ultimately fail. And I've seen this many times in the corporate world, you know, where a really great strategy work has done in isolation and then it can never really get off the ground because the culture just isn't equipped to allow it to happen or you've got great strategic momentum and then some force comes to bear comes to act on the organization maybe there's a new competitor in the market Maybe an existing competitor comes out with a new product or a service. Maybe market conditions themselves change, economic, regulatory, 
Sometimes a change in leadership can cause internal force to suddenly divert strategic direction because there's a ripple through culture. And, you know, while it does happen in the corporate world with regularity, uh, and again, having come from that world, I've seen it many times, it's especially relevant for schools, especially independent and private schools, which are facing very unique challenges in the age of exponential change and the onset of something we've talked about many times, the AI revolution, as one really overwhelming force that is emerging. It's reshaping and will reshape society. It's relevant for independent schools because they have to compete with other institutions for students, for various resources and funding. And so in this context, you know, vision, leadership, innovation, they're all critical components of strategic planning. However, even with these things in place, whether they're just in their infancy inside an organization or whether they're, you know, full momentum, you're halfway through a strategic plan. If the culture is weak, then the vision and strategic execution can be really hard to maintain. It reminds me, I, you know, I, I, I'm uh, being a techie. I, <laughs> I have a lot of uh, sort of geek culture, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, Lord of the Rings. And this reminds me, I've thought of this a number of times, when I see strategic initiatives that are poised, they're just on the cusp of really taking off and bringing about strategic differentiation and pulling an organization really into a, you know an era of real growth uh, and impact. And it reminds me, there's a very famous quote from Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite books. So again, my inner geek is coming out. Where one of the characters is speaking about the quest. And they say, the quest stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little, and it will fail. And that is, you know, really how precarious sometimes strategy sits, balanced, on the knife edge of culture. And I've seen so many times when just on the cusp of really starting to either embark in some strategic direction, or more often I've actually seen it when there's huge momentum. And then an external force or one of these internal forces comes. And it, it can be subtle. It doesn't have to be something huge to cause this disruption of strategic direction. Because culture is like a pond. So when you drop a rock in the pond and you see that ripple and it's moving out and it's getting larger and larger. Well, when that ripple hits the strategic initiatives, strategic momentum, 
It's like it's balanced on a knife edge and it's really easy to knock it off of that and it just stops. So it's important to think about culture and how you ensure that culture in your organization, in your school, is really enabled to support your strategic direction. And if it's not, you want to really think through how do we bring about the culture that we want? Or how does the existing culture support perhaps some other strategic direction? If you have a culture where strategy itself can't thrive at all, then it is an important thing to look at, to think about your values, and make sure that the values are bringing about the type of culture that you want so that it can support strategy and ultimately allow for innovation. When you think of these organizations that have done a great job of innovating, we've talked about a bunch. It's not that there isn't failure. Remember, failure is the compost for innovation, just like entrepreneurship. Failure is the compost that goes into your next initiative or venture. So it's not that there isn't failure, but that failure is happening with the, the, the thrust of strategy still driving it forward. It, it happens <clears throat> in fertile cultural soil. If you don't have that, then all you have is failure and no way to move forward. So I wanted to talk about that this week because, you know, we've been talking about the various elements here on the Garage Cast of what creates innovation inside organizations. We've talked about the importance of leadership. So, so important. Culture takes its cues from leadership. But leadership also needs to be very, very close to every person in the organization to ensure that they understand that cultural soil. And if it needs to be changed, how to do that in a way that creates an exciting environment, a positive environment. So it's important. And I thought, you know, on this week's Garage Cast, this was a really appropriate and important topic to hit on. So how does this culture and integration of strategy and intersection with innovation all happen? It's one thing to talk about its importance, but you may be sitting there thinking, how do we do this? And I'm going to just kind of walk through at a very high level. Um, And it's high level because it is involved. You're talking about a year, maybe even a multi-year approach. And it really involves, if you've already got core values, it's about starting to do things to leverage those as you build culture towards innovation. 
if you don't have core values really defined, then that's an important starting point. It's a values initiative that really lays the foundation to allow strategy and innovation to flourish in the way that we've been talking about. A values project, you know, is really an initiative that allows you as an organization, as, as a community to define um, and share those core values. I'd say actually embedding those core values in the very DNA of your school. And having that can really, really enhance your school's culture of innovation and strategy. So what do you need? What's the key ingredients, the key elements, the non-negotiables? Well, it starts with a real commitment from leadership. The leaders inside the organization have to embody the core values in their actions, in their decisions. They ultimately set a clear example for the rest of the organization that reinforces the importance of the values. You know, in our last podcast, we talked about distributed leadership, we talked about the web of leadership. If you haven't heard that one, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And so while we think of leaders like a senior leadership team, you know, the embodiment of the values, the, the, the living the values, the walking the talk in a sense, you know, it has to exist there. But in order to really, what we say here often at the school, when we talk about our values work is to transfer the transformation, which really means getting that capability and that comfort and that understanding into other leaders throughout the organization. So again, think of that. Don't think of it hierarchically. Think of it as a web. And now you've got this permeating the web. And when leaders show that there's a commitment to the values, they really start to become authentically lived within the organization. You've got to have a clear vision and strategy. Right? And then the values have to be aligned with that vision and strategy. If innovation and strategic thinking are part of the core values, they'll naturally become part of the organization's vision and strategy as well. Now, you've got to do a lot of work. And we actually spent multiple years. It's still ongoing where we have to be able to empower our employees. Now, we've talked about how do we empower everybody in the organization. You know, the podcast episode around a culture of innovation talked about how we create that. You remember that we, uh, we did some referencing to the gentleman that leads Google's kind of innovation arm, and how do you go about creating those conditions? Well, this is really around the conditions now of the, cult, the cultural. How do we enable and develop culture? It's not enough just to, to, to create those values and put them out there. You've really got to equip every single person in the school 
to be able to interact with each other in a way that's really values-driven. And that, in turn, creates that culture. And so employee empowerment really means capacity building. You know, values like trust, respect, they would really enhance the ability of employees to innovate and think strategically. When employees feel trusted and respected, then they're more likely to take risks. You remember we talked about how important it is to be able to take a risk and come up with new ideas. And you can see how the cultural piece has to be there. I think cross-functional teams is super important for innovation. And so values like collaboration, inclusivity, and teamwork really facilitate good cross-functional cooperation, which in turn then, again, enables the realization of strategy in the area of innovation. It's interesting because as I sort of speak these things aloud, as, as is often the case here on the GarageCast, makes me think of other, other things. And, and a lot of these things that we're talking about are the things we want to develop in our students. We call them here approaches to learning. It comes from the International Baccalaureate, the IB, mindset around important skills that students need to develop. Well, if we can create that culture here for the adult community, it'll extend that culture into the, the student community here. I'd say the other thing I want to hit on is learning and adaptability. When we think of the culture within the schools, schools naturally value continuous learning. What they also need to embrace with continuous learning is adaptability because that creates an environment that promotes learning from mistakes, adapting to change, and improving continuously. So these are some of the high-level elements. And then you've really got to plan out, you know, those elements have to unfold and manifest through a plan. Put yourself a plan. You know, I like to think of things sort of from a design thinking perspective, but there are other sort of frameworks to think about that. But you're typically going to have sort of four phases to, to, to get this done over a certain period of time. A planning and preparation phase, right, where the leadership really articulates the importance of innovation and core values and conducts an initial assessment of the current culture and innovation capabilities within the school. That's super critical. You can't develop the future state, the intended you know, destination, without understanding where you are. You'll have a phase where you sort of launch and begin implementing, right? So you'll officially launch this work to connect vision, strategy, the values, and then communicate, communicate, communicate. Can't stress how important it is to be able to communicate extensively across the school and initiate professional development. Start to upskill and build capacity. This was some of the most 
exciting work. It was a values project that we did here. But to me, it's innovation in action. Because again, if innovation is disrupting the status quo, challenging the status quo, then equipping each and every person within the community to be able to just change the way we work together. And so we did some wonderful capacity building over a very long period of time and opportunities to practice it. It's not just professional development where we're sort of learning about these things. I'm thinking about our micro practices that we, we have here. We've learned these skills, how to host each other, how to check in with each other. The, these, are, these are things that we, we're not just learning conceptually. You've got to give people the, the time to practice. And then you, you can step into starting cross-functional teamwork on innovative projects. And you've got to make sure that you provide resources and tools necessary. They've got to have that. You can't frustrate. If you think about the levers of change, we've got to make sure that we, we provide the tools and resources. And those tools and resources could be time, could be financial investment, could be frameworks and techniques. And at every step, it should be encouraging collaboration and the sharing of ideas across the organization. A really important step is the evaluation and adjustment. So make sure that you're checking in on the progress of establishing this culture and seeing that it's a culture that is supporting strategy and innovation. And you, you can do that in any number of ways, right? You can survey, you can get feedback from your employees in different ways. Maybe break those up into various stakeholder groups, teachers, um, staff, students. Then analyze that feedback, identify where you're making progress, right? celebrate where you're making progress, but identify areas of ongoing need. And then make any necessary adjustments throughout. And then lastly, you know, you have this ability where you can start to consolidate all the learning, consolidate the momentum, consolidate the kind of cultural elements that are emerging and do things to continuously reinforce, continue to encourage and reward innovative ideas and behaviors that reflect the organization's core values. Share success stories, but also Share learnings in a celebratory way from failure. And that, in turn, will promote a culture of continuous learning and improvement. What's really, really, really important, especially if you're a leader inside your school, I'll, I'll say leader with small l, but also if you are the leader, to successfully enable what we've been talking about, the organization, your school needs a transformational leader who's a visionary, who's empowering, and who's adaptable. Right? That leader has to be able to articulate the compelling vision for innovation and how it aligns to the school's core values. And that in turn inspires 
and mobilizes others towards this vision, towards that winning aspiration, as we say here from the framework that we use when we look at strategy. The leader has to be able to lead by example and by demonstrating the core values in their own actions and decisions and the way they allow other leaders in the organization to take action and make decisions. And I can't stress enough that element of adaptability. And that is super important in these times of exponential change. We've talked about this a lot. And the leader has to be highly adaptable, has to be able to navigate change. And that's a mindset, but also knowing kind of tools and approaches to doing that. How do you navigate change and uncertainty? And I might even add, how do you do that when you don't have all the information? Because in this day and age, we increasingly will find ourselves that the pace of change is so rapid. The emergence of external and internal forces that can knock our strategy, momentum, sort of off its, its knife edge. That stuff is happening a lot faster and you won't always have the benefit of, of all the information. And so the ability to navigate change and uncertainty and still encourage a culture of continuous learning and improvement is super important. A leader's got to be adaptable to do that. And this type of leader should really, really be skilled at promoting collaboration, recognizing and rewarding innovative efforts, and also stopping and listening and, and soliciting feedback and acting on feedback and make sure that all those things are developing over the long term, the medium and the long term, that they're developing in the direction that the community has set out. Super exciting. If you're embarking on this yourself, you know, within your own school, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and let me know how, how it's going, the challenges you have, uh, the benefits you've already seen, the place you are in that journey. Always love to hear from listeners, and I look forward to continuing this conversation. All right, let's change, change gears here and talk a little bit about artificial intelligence, but from the perspective of how we can see that this technology is already fundamentally changing society. You know, we've talked about this when we think of ourselves and our role here as educators and how schools have to play a role um, in, in ensuring that our young people, that our students are ready to go out into this world. You know, sometimes they can kind of sort of feel like we're always just sort of talking about jobs. You know, how do we equip them for jobs of the future? But artificial intelligence, as I've said before, this is an AI revolution. It's like the, 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 the introduction of the steam engine. This will reshape society, just like we saw in the Industrial Revolution. You know, we've got technologies that come out. Think of the mobile phone, um, 
experience, in how it's impacted our lives, and it makes a change, of course, in our lives. But artificial intelligence is re going to reshape things in a way like the Industrial Revolution. I saw an article, and this is, this is I think, an indicator. And this is, this is now, we're not going to talk about new features. We're not going to talk about, you know, new tools. We're not going to talk about what ChatGPT's done this week. I want to talk about this headline in this recent news article that I read. Here it is. You ready? I, wherever you are, sit down. <laughs> okay, I'm being a bit dramatic. Here's the title of this article. AI Act is almost here. EU Parliament due to formally vote next month. Okay, just want, want that to sink in for you. Right? The Artificial Intelligence Act, the AI Act, is almost here. The European Union, the Parliament, Parliament is due to formally vote next month. Why does this blow me away? You know, I'm a techie, so I, I love all of the, the stuff that I see advancing in the area of artificial intelligence. So why does this give me real pause? Well, the very fact that we're talking about an AI act so shortly after this has emerged, remember, we're talking November, December of 2022. Right? We're talking seven months ago. And there are governments around the world, the European Union, who have understood how fundamentally our world will change and how important it is to have legislation, regulation, an act in place to ensure that this technology is emerging in a way that's beneficial and not potentially harmful. And the European Union is, is really, um, really taking a leadership role globally when I see this. The European Union, you know, what they're looking at is in drafting um, this act, is looking for, again, ways to work ethical AI values into its lawmaking. Okay, last September, which again, you know, isn't that long ago, but when you're looking at things that are, are changing exponentially, and you know, every month, every, every month that passes is an accelerated, um, it's accelerated time. But last September, they had released their, what they called their Artificial Intelligence Liability Directive, which was a way of protecting consumers' legal rights against companies that are selling AI-powered products and services. Okay? And you can see now that it's very quickly evolving. It's moving from some of these consumer protection pieces where they're making amendments that have much broader, it's not just about consumers, it's about citizens. Some of these amendments that they're bringing into the AI Act include, for instance, a ban 
on the discriminatory use of AI technology, such as like remote biometric identification systems in public places. You see, what, what, what they're recognizing is, you know, we are excited and using tools like ChatGPT. And there's a lot of them now that are emerging. And there's some great Canadian examples. Um, a lot of this stuff, you know, I'm so proud to say that it's Canadians that have been driving this. It may be in other parts of the world, like in the United States, but some great Canadians that have been involved. Maybe we'll do an episode about that. But we think of ChatGPT and all these tools as the artificial intelligence. But this is the thin edge of the wedge. This AI capability is finding its way into all kinds of systems. It's not just about generative AI that's generating, you know, an essay for you or helping you write an email, helping you conduct a search. It's really going to embed itself in many, many aspects of society and our life. And so by building in safeguards, for instance, around um, things like biometric identification systems that are found in public places. Okay? AI can very easily be tracking us. You know, artificial intelligence drives facial recognition. Right? Remember, it's not just about generating text or images. And so they've, they've put some things in there, like a, an all-out ban, that we cannot use this type of technology for discriminatory purposes. You know, biometric systems of categorization that use very sensitive characteristics like gender and race are, are being banned if this act goes forward. This will not be allowed, as will predictive policing AI tech. Okay, this... This commission that they've got has voted that the right to privacy will be upheld with the scrapping of biometric data from social media or their closed circuit television footage to create facial recognition databases. That's being banned, right? You cannot scrape this data, this biometric data, your face basically, they can't go out and use these AI models to go and scrape all of this data and then create the equivalent of large language models, call them large image models, of us. The, 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 the AI Act will be so important, and, and we will see this type of thing in North America as well. We have to. I think that the, the tech companies that are are developing this technology, you know, they build safeguards into the system, but they also are looking for um, regulation to make sure that what they're developing is used appropriately. Who would have thought a year ago that we would actually be reading that an AI act was in development, it's been drafted, and now it's before lawmakers? For consideration and enactment. I, you know, 
I have, have been thinking about this for a long time. And even I am surprised to, to see a headline like this. Uh, and, and again, there are many headlines. There, I'm, I'm picking the one that had jumped directly out to me, but a very simple Google search um, will reveal to you, you know, EU lawmakers committees agreed to tougher draft legislation on regulating e, uh, AI. The European Union draft legislation will ban AI for mass biometric surveillance and predictive policing. European Union Parliament in favor of tougher rules for AI Act. It's coming. And when you see that that is coming, you know that there is a fundamental shift that is coming along with it. It's the AI revolution. And as educators, that can be scary. You know, it's going to have an impact on our schools, on ourselves as individuals of society. I think it's super, super exciting as well. It's got such possibility for us. And it's got such exciting possibilities for what we do with our students. It's got such exciting possibilities for what does educating our students mean, which this podcast explores every single week. And so I was really kind of happy to be able to share this because often we look at just the technology pieces, right? Oh, the capabilities. Oh, what the tools are doing. Oh, how the tools are you know, being misused. Oh, the limitations of the tools. And these are, these are important, and we'll continue to talk about these things. But the flip side is to, is to think about you know, the broader ramification, the changes in society. And we've got to equip our, our students to not only be able to technically embrace these things, not only to have the skill to know which tools to use, not only to have the mindset to, to know, you know that these tools are transformational and can help them with their work. We need them to think critically as well around the societal impact. So maybe there's an opportunity for you to talk about the AI Act with your students. You know, have a class discussion. Go through a mock process where you, as a class, develop what would an act like this look like. I think it's a very thought-provoking thing to do with students. And if you do do that, I'd love to hear about what that looked like in your own classrooms. have a wonderful guest that is going to join me here on the Garage Cast. Our guest is Grace Nolan, who is an educator here at Branksome Hall, and I'm going to let her introduce herself once we get into our segment. But what this segment is about is student debate. But beyond that, it's about this really unique initiative that Carrie Weinstock, who is a close colleague of mine here at the school, um, and myself and Grace Nolan worked on to bring to fruition 
with our partner, um, Monk Debates. You'll probably recall this from earlier podcasts. You'll remember that we developed a platform called DB8 Debate. And this platform, which allowed for the online um, submission of student uh, debate videos, um, we use this platform to create this inaugural event, which is called Resolved. So here to tell us more is Grace Nolan. Hello, Grace. Hey, Michael. Welcome to the Garage Cast. Thanks. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> nice to have you here. And let me <laughs> let me start off by just congratulating you on this just extraordinary experience that you've created for the kids with Resolved. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. It's been it's been quite the adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I've been happy to be a part of it, uh, working with you and Carrie. But you have really, you know, your 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 passion and your organizational skill and your vision uh, have really been what's made it happen. So why don't you tell our listeners here on the GarageCast just sort of where we've come from and where we're at. Right. So um, we had our um, video submitted in January and we had over 110 students from 28 different countries. So Amazing. most, con I know, and most continents were represented, which was also fabulous. And through the work of adult volunteers and teachers from all over the world, we entered our debate phase in March and we started with the top 32 students. Mm -hmm. And we are now in preparation for the final four. And we have Risi He from Shanghai American School, Julian Zhang from University of Toronto Schools, Rain Gurton from Little Flower Academy in Vancouver, and Emily Sue from Crofton House, also in Vancouver. And they'll be flying in. Um, on Sunday and Monday of the Victoria Day weekend, and they will be preparing for their in-person debate finals at Hart House. Amazing, amazing. I, I look forward to and hope that we can get some of these young debaters uh, on the garage cast if possible, or at least in integrate a little bit of, uh, of, of um, them speaking, you know, in the next uh, episode of the garage cast when it occurs after the debates. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And we have that planned for them. So <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you know, when, when you, you know, obviously you're incredibly passionate about debate, uh, you know, you've been a part of the debate program here at the school, even well before the, the platform that we've put together in this event. But when you think about from a garage cast perspective, you know, we talk a lot about innovation here. And when you think about debate as a skill, for young yeah. people to develop. How do you see that skill sort of linking to innovation? And again, we use a very broad uh, definition of innovation, which is disrupting the status quo. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, unfortunately, what we see now, especially in media or print media or even TV or streaming, is that we go into our echo chambers and we we usually follow news or we follow or we read pieces that we generally agree with. And something like debate and even with the resolved um, competition where the kids discuss if we can appreciate art, even when we know that the artist is personally reprehensible, 
Sometimes they've had to take a side that they don't necessarily agree with, but it develops that skill that you have to look at what other points of view are and you have to make some sort of concession or some sort of agreement and enter into a discourse rather than screaming at each other. And mm -hmm. so it's that critical thinking piece that is so important in, in today's, um, today's world. And with public speaking, it's also the creative, the creative thinking piece. So a number of students um, develop problem solution speeches and you know, they have to think creatively about how to solve issues that are pressing the world and even or even their local community. So, you know, we've had students talk about the shortage of doctors and have them think creatively, like, okay, how do we solve these problems? Mm -hmm. So it provides kids with these lifelong skills that also help develop empathy and um, also help develop communication skills for sure. Amazing. You know, this it does just so naturally tie to this idea of, of a skill set that uh, innovators and people mm -hmm. that are developing an innovator's mindset have to have that ability to dialogue with people that might have different perspectives, uh, to really understand users that you might be designing for. You have to have empathy. Uh, and so what a great, great forum you're providing yeah. for kids to do this and, and just develop great public speaking. Yeah, thanks. And they also have to develop listening skills. They can't just live in their little silo that they have to listen to what the other points of view are and come up or with a response or come up with an agreement. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. When you think of, you know, you've been involved in debate um, mm -hmm. and, you know, we've had we've had marquee um, uh, events here at the school with uh, with hosting worlds. When you think of DB8, which is the platform mm. that we, we created and sort of changed the paradigm somewhat, what, what has DB8 enabled you to create for these students that you'd never sort of imagined before? Yeah, so essentially what has happened was it, debate is, is a fantastic skill and a fantastic opportunity for kids. But because of um, travel and because of registration fees, it's becoming... Um, at times prohibitively expensive, especially for kids. Mm. And so what DB8 does is we kind of tapped into that generation and it's like, okay, what do these kids have? They all have mobile devices and they all have an uncanny ability to find a free hotspot. Mm -hmm. No matter where they are in the world, they can find free Wi-Fi. So we're kind of t removing that financial barrier for kids and just giving them, and it's kind of debate without borders. We're giving them a platform where they can express their opinions in a safe space. So only adults will be able to view what they're posting or what they're saying. And so we're giving them a safe space where they can express their opinions and not have to worry about, okay, now I have to travel to South Africa to compete in this event or I have to find, I have to pay for myself and a parent to go to London, England for this public speaking event. We are taking debate and public speaking to the kids and meeting them where, they, where they're at both technologically and financially. So amazing, so amazing. I mean, it is democratizing the ability for kids to participate, you know, so there's just a great equity piece to it. And it's also just meeting kids 
where they are in terms of their use of technology on a day-to-day -day basis. It feels natural, a natural extension for them. Absolutely. And over a third of the competitors from um, Resolved actually came from the Global South. And they were able to use their school's Wi-Fi because they don't have Wi-Fi at home due to whatever constraints, but they were able to um, find Wi-Fi at um, their school or just outside their school, and they were able to film their videos. That is just phenomenal. Well, I cannot wait for the in-person event with these young debaters that are coming uh, um, to the to the um, the location here in Toronto, Hard House. I think you you said. Yep, Hard House debate room on Tuesday, May twenty third. That's phenomenal. And again, we'll have them and possibly you and and uh, and Carrie say a few words, uh, uh, you know, during that event or just shortly thereafter. You're, you're truly doing some innovative and important work with young people. So thank you for that. And thank you, Michael. Yeah. And thanks for joining us here on the Garage Cast, everybody. That was uh, Grace Nolan here from Branksome Hall sharing a little update on the Resolved event. Thanks so much. Let's look at our tech tool tip of the week. This is a tool called OmniScience, and it can be found at omnilabs.ai. So that's O-M-N-I-L-A-B-S dot A-I. So what is this? It's a, it's a writing tool, and I've been using it now for about two weeks. Uh, I've got an article that I have been working on. You remember uh, in the past podcast, we talked about the web of leadership and I've got an article that will come out next week and I'm going to share that next week with you as to where you can find that. Um, anyway, OmniScience, um, the way they, uh, they sort of market this or what they say that it, it does is it's the first AI that writes with your knowledge. And then it says below, Omni retrieves and generates writing using context from your uploaded documents, books, websites, PDFs, and more. So what is this exactly? What does it do? So there's a couple of uh, things that I really like about this tool. When you sign up for it, um, you have a text editor. And so as I write my article um, in the left-hand pane, it's sort of divided into three segments or sections on my screen. They're vertical um, sort of segments. The text editor, editor on the left. And when I write, so for instance, I have a line here in my document that I, says, that I say, hierarchy kills innovation and is ultimately an old model of thinking that no longer fits organizations in the era of exponential change. So this is something I wrote. Um, as I would have written, uh, you know, in uh, any other word processing type um, program. Now, I've just typed a space after that line. And in the right-hand column of OmniScience, it is generating all kinds of information for me. So, for instance, it says there's, there's all these little snippets. So it says, for instance... Hierarchy is a huge topic when dealing with any organization, community, 
and teacher-student situation. And then below that, it says it comes from a source called Mastering the Core Teachings. Um, there's another one that says, let me just scroll down here. Uh, your organization chart is that structure, is the clip. And then it says, the e-myth revisited, why most small businesses don't work and what to do about it. And if I click on that, in the center column, so remember, text editor on the left, these recommendations that are coming out on the right, and in the middle, it has now brought me this document that is called the E-Myth Revisited, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. And it has highlighted this line about your organization chart is that structure, and I'm seeing it in the context of this entire um, paragraph which is within the context of this entire page. So what they're basically doing is they're surfacing the exact location in a book or article where the concept they are referring to me based on what I am writing, they're giving me suggestions. It's unbelievable. So for instance, if I just scroll down a little bit more, it says on the right-hand side, again, it's, it's showing me these like an assistant that's saying, Hey, I see that you're writing. You have written Hierarchy Kills Innovation, etc., etc. And then it's surfacing things for me that I might want to consider just in my thinking or maybe for possible inclusion. So for instance, if hierarchy is a fact of organizational life and in fact apparently preferred by people, then hierarchical arrangements will be omnipresent. This comes from something called power, why some people have it and others don't. And if I click on it again, it is bringing this document, this book, this material up for me. It's really, really quite amazing. And in the right-hand column, if I click, there is a button that says Generate. It's now Thinking. And it is generating content, AI content. So think of ChatGPT. But again, it is happening within the editor that I'm using to do the writing in. So I'm not having to leave ChatGPT and I'm able to generate content that then I guess I could include directly. It's not something I would do, but it, it could be something that I look at and then think about, hmm, how do I incorporate what it has generated? I've clicked the generate button here and it's, it's churning away and it's thinking and it's writing. And here we go. So now it's created all kinds of uh, content that I could use to continue this line that I've written. Okay, so for instance, I wrote, hierarchy kills innovation and is ultimately an old model of thinking that no longer fits organizations in the era of exponential change. And it writes here, however, I believe that schools should not be based on a rigid organizational structure, but rather on a system that is more fluid and adaptive to the needs of the students, staff, and community. And it goes on. It's written a, it's written a paragraph here for me. And again, I wouldn't copy and paste this. Uh, but I might use it to spark, how do, how do I continue on this, this vein of thinking? So it's really quite amazing. Now, the other amazing thing about OmniScience is you can specify the sources that you want included. So I may upload documents of mine. Maybe it's some research that I've been doing and I've got a series of PDFs and I'm loading them into a knowledge set, a data set, they call them. Maybe I include a series of books that I have read and find you know, very useful. 
Um, they've got different sources that you can you can link to that they give you as options. So you may say, I don't I don't like what I see in that source. I don't want anything included in terms of recommendations or or writing, for instance. And and that allows you to start to, in a sense, allow for generative AI to assist you in your writing process with a data set that is your own. You can include, actually, I could include, let's say I've written five papers on this subject. I include them in the data set. So now it's actually generating content based off of my own writing, which is very, very interesting because it starts to move away from this this idea that, oh, a machine is generating and doing the thinking for you. Now it's really, again, assisting you in generating content, but it's, it's basing it off of your own material. So if you're a prolific writer, uh, you know, that's pretty powerful. And think about students over their, 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 their time here at the school. Imagine if everything they produced, you know, we talk about digital portfolios for students. Imagine if everything the student produces goes into their own data set that their own generative AI can pull from. That's pretty powerful if you think about it. What it's doing is it's incorporating your own thinking, your own writing, your own style, your own thoughts and ideas, and helping to work with you to, to evolve that, to surface things that you've already written to improve on, on things with you that you've already written and explored. So I think it's pretty exciting. Now, again, I've only used it for a couple of weeks, um, and so I'll probably revisit this. Again, OmniScience, which you can find at omnilabs.ai, and that is the GarageCast's Tech Tool of the Week. Well, this has turned out to be the longest episode we've ever recorded here on the Garage Cast. Episode 28 gets that, uh, that distinction. But we are going to bring it to a close this Friday, May the 12th. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Lots to think about uh, in this episode. Talked about culture and its enablement of strategy and how precarious uh, the two are balanced. We had such a lovely, lovely discussion with Grace Nolan and, and hear about the exciting resolved debate competition. We've explored this tech tool, OmniScience, which I hope you'll go out and take a look at if you haven't already done that while you've been listening to the podcast. It's just been wonderful. Oh, and we talked about the AI Act as well. I knew there was another topic. And that's why this has been such a full, full episode. But I hope that you have taken away some things to think about. I hope that the Garage Cast is provocative. I hope that it is educational. And I hope that it's been entertaining. It's always, always just such a pleasure for me. I am Michael Iani Polarchio, your host here on the Garage Cast. And until we connect again next week, I hope you have a terrific upcoming weekend. Stay well, everybody. And until we see each other again, ciao.